Greetings everybody out there in Dreamland. Namaste and Salam. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning in to the broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. It's my pride and privilege to be doing so. Thank each and every one of you out there in Dreamland. Listeners, new and old alike, supporters and observers, wallflowers alike. But for those who have taken the extra step and gotten off that fence and taken an active, proactive stance at supporting, sharing, uh, either by, uh, you know, financial means, by tipping through Cash App, or by um, spreading the word, by sharing episodes on social media, yours or others, by reposting my post, as well as getting the word out about the podcast and the progress we're making, the strides we're making towards uh, unraveling and and understanding this bigger picture of things, revealing the truth one episode at a time, as well as just the intense subject matter that we cover and we dive into. I know a lot of people don't even cover this stuff, and so if you know anyone who likes this material, who likes this genre of podcast, as well as the truth that is being told, who's desperate for it, who um, seeks it, who's at knocking at doors, following different channels, you know, and is wondering about these subjects, well, send them over, let them peruse a few of my episodes, and, you know, I am much obliged for the, the flow of traffic, the audience, and I am deeply, uh, you know, uh, very confident that um, they're going to find what they're looking for here as we delve into the truth when it comes to the UFOs, to the occult, the exotic, to the esoteric here at the Beyond Top Secret Texan. We uh, cover a lot of different subject matters, especially throughout the week. Remember our schedule. Sunday is Texas-specific conspiracy theories, Texan by Texan. Um, Texas by Texan and then we have Monday which is a UFOlogy secret space program based day different episodes either on historic cases of UFOs certain situations that are happening in UFOlogy my own experiences in the SSP um, etc 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 and then we have Wednesday which is today it's going on broadcast of this uh, day which is going to be Wednesday uh, September 20th 2023 you're listening to this in the future. That's when uh, these Wednesday episodes are political. We try to be as non-paranormal as possible in this, delving into more political, hard political espionage, military uh, genre conspiracies. Then we go into Friday, and Friday is our cult day. That is our secret society day. That is our metaphysical day. That is our paranormal day. When it comes to witchcraft, spirituality, uh, multi-sensory you know, abilities and projections, or awareness and sensations, and then and, you know, everything in the occult between legends, urban legends, delving into um, you know, everything from sorcery to, uh, you know, we just did an episode on 21st century Satanism in Texas. All of that is included in the occult days. But basically, secret societies and things that are hidden metaphysically. Then we also publish on Saturday a new series, Sci-Fi Saturdays. And Sci-Fi Saturdays are publishing uh, 
sci-fi from the golden age of science fiction, purely for entertainment, but also for the disclosure that is held within those precious books and tomes of knowledge. 1950s, 1960s sci-fi, um, you know, and, and 40s and 70s too, as well as you know into the 80s and and earlier. It's, it's basically a timeline of distribution, but. There's a lot of concentrated gold. There's a lot of concentrated uh, wonder in the 1950s and 1960s when it comes to breakaway civilizations, secret space programs, uh, timelines, future uh, events um, that are very parallel to our realization of how history is truly played out. And it really was a tell-it-in-plain-sight, public-disclosure, predictive programming attitude in the 50s and 60s that just was taken as being the creation of the science fiction genre and the pushes of things like Star Trek, etc. But in our modern eyes, we can see the agenda behind all of it. And I want to show that. I want to share that. And um, in, in these Golden Age sci-fi books say on Saturday we're publishing um, our second broadcast of A Spectre Haunts Texas which is a satirical look at a breakaway civilization from the moon uh, sending uh, having a man, an actor um, travel to Earth for the first time in his life after the great nuclear war Occurred, forcing him to, in his in his kind, to travel to the moon to survive on colonies, and finding that the entire world has been rebuilt in the image of Texas, who basically has taken over everything and survives from a giant underground base that covers most of North America, that's known as the Pentagram. And um, you know, it's it's pretty fucking awesome. It's like pretty dead on. It's funny. It's got a lot of cool imagery. It's very, it's you know, it's it's very sexual forward because the 50s and 60s were much more sexually forward than they are today. Uh, you know, just absolutely based as fuck when it comes to uh, the subject matter, the descriptions, and everything. So, if you're a fan of this, if you're a fan of disclosure, check out the Saturday Sci-Fi episodes. And throughout the week, we always add to and uh, republish episodes. Currently, we're running say the Quetzalcoatl, the Phoenix of the Western World. Uh, book and basically still reading that, still have to read that and every time we read uh, more for it, we republish it every time we fix the audio or go through and re-edit uh, the sound for old episodes, we republish those, so keep in keep in touch with that you can follow it on podpage.com slash beyondtopsecrettexan podpage.com slash beyondtopsecrettexan is the webpage, all one word, lowercase just the name, beyondtopsecrettexan um find all the archive episodes, all the new episodes as they upload right there for you using your web browser free of use, and then if you want to use a platform, then you have uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of them really uh, you know, Podbay um, videos are going to be on Odyssey, but, but all the podcast stations have this episode, have this uh, podcast streaming through it, and um, you know it's, it's available. If there is one that it's not available on, let me know, and I will do my best to put it on there. So I'll upload that RSS feed pronto. And like I said, all we, all we really ask for is for you to listen to as many episodes as you can to, to hear the full story. To, but there's also 400-plus episodes. So, uh, you know, we know 
you can't really get to them all. Even now, it's 36 days plus of uh, full. Like, say, if you listen to one, it would take 36 days to get through the entire audio. And uh, what I've already produced and uploaded. But catching up and keeping up is, you know, the best thing for everyone. It's, it's, it does wonders to me because it gets those old videos, old episodes, um, some plays, some fresh life, some fresh eyes, some fresh ears. And, um, you know, it helps you guys because it gives you a clearer picture, a more precise picture of what I'm trying to get at and what ground I've already covered. Today's being a political conspiracy, being a espionage conspiracy, a military conspiracy day. I gotta come up with a fancy name for this, a, a actual pretty snappy uh, series name so I can put it all under one like playlist and everything. But basically that's what I'm trying to get at is a as unparanormal as possible take on conspiracies just for today. Okay, so today's episode is going to be about saving the children. It's going to be about exposing the pedophile ruling elite that have emerged from the shadows of aristocracy of landed European gentry and from being kicked out and expelled from those societies during the great national resurgence of, of you know, working ethics and divisions uh, of power, etc., the Inquisition, um, various uh, people's movements, Protestant movements, that forced all of that decadence and hedonism um, typically under the persecution of witches or werewolves, etc., out of mainstream Europe society, further into the shadows. Look at, see, for example, when they imprisoned Marquet de Sade. Uh, Marquet de Sade, they imprisoned him after the revolution on immorality and obscenity. So the, the attitudes of Europe around the 1700s and 1800s was one of prohibition and the Victorian age, which was strictly anti-sexual um, hedonism, or and forced it basically into the shadows. It didn't extinct it, obviously, but it forced it forced the mainstream sexuality into the shadows, and that was just heteronormative uh, promiscuity and things like that. Let alone uh, the average libidinal, you know, personal sexual like identity or whatever psyche and how it warped that into what we knew going into the 20th century but actually it forced homosexuality it forced uh, transgenderism it forced um, pedophilia into the realm of sex crimes into the realms of mental disorders and criminal psychopathy and things like that, like to the extreme, that was not an exaggeration, that's how people viewed pedophilia in the 17 to 1800s, you know, the, I guess, yeah, the 18th to 19th century, setting the stage for it to be purely the playground of the most sociopathic of all castes, either in the working class to the ruling caste, only the most sociopathic, 
and nihilistic and sadistic and criminal, the most sociopathic, they just the fucking craziest uh, people, the most mentally ill, actually ever engaged in that or showed even an interest in it, to let alone intentionally engage in it and then to cultivate it into a well-honed skill uh, and art. And this was saying, like, it, this is why the entire society isn't that. This is why it's become a taboo, but an open secret. Because we know it exists and it's constantly plaguing society with the disappearance of children, with organized kidnapping rings, with um, the exploitations of like orphanages, etc. But we also know it's been sponsored by the most powerful people and the most powerful castes. We're talking ruling class politicians current politicians, family dynasties like the Bidens, uh, but the Kennedys were involved in this stuff, uh, the Bushes, the, you know, the, the mayors and governors that run multiple terms and, along family lines in large major cities like the Dailies and Chicago, uh, for example, are the Hosses in Texas, um, you know, and then you have like the Rockefellers in New York state and then um, you know the California ruling dynasties etc like that then you also have business people business tycoons um, then you also have your religious sects your your mostly Protestant or um, non-secular uh, like you know universalist uh, NGO groups like the YMCA and uh, various groups like that, which have uh, Boy Scouts of America are a big example of that. These weird NGO groups that are like organizations meant for children, schools, sports, uh, little league, etc., that are run that were basically the grounds for uh, children to uh, adults, like the pipeline between children to adults. So this was all, you know, in the making and everything like that, and only kept in reserve to that. This was a shadowy secret that these people lived with and shamefully kept and either uh, endorsed themselves, which would explain how society was crafted into this scholastic, exclusive, pedigreed, like, athletic, male-only secret society, fraternity type network like the Skull and Bones in Yale or um, the Harvard fraternities or fraternities themselves anywhere. Like uh, I went to Texas A&M University up in Tamu in College Station and they, the fraternities are, are huge as well as the Corps of Cadets as well as different and various unofficial clubs and groups that are typically all male in their makeup. It's because this is how this ruling class, this elite aristocracy in America typically compose itself. It's by sex. It's homosexual, homosocial, and it's construction. It's it's a group of like, you know, men that were conducting these these pedivore type things because men were relying on secrets, but also when women started coming in, etc. They're usually very closely aided by sister groups, sororities that counter the, frater the fraternities uh, that run as the male masculine uh, side of things. Sororities do the beta sex programming, the, the priming, the group thought, the, induct the indoctrination, the initiations for the women 
and give women their own autonomy, even though they're basically the sex slaves of these fraternity organizations. Uh, but that goes without saying. So that so this is the backdrop behind us, right? So this is why this is very important that it starts becoming the dominant way of all diplo- diplomacy and real politic and starts infiltrating society. It starts infiltrating the entertainment industry. It starts infiltrating uh, big business. It starts infiltrating these things because it's a secret. And once it's a desire uh, that can be controlled, then it can be the secret can be kept. And the secret is what gives power over all these uh, collegiate pedophiles and these secret societies and these high-ranking uh, all-male aristocratic uh, type institutions or athletic institutions. Um, it's the sexual abuse that they experience when they're younger and then the sexual abuse that they crave uh, later on in life either to be you know, delivering it or receiving it still all at the hands, or all at the the control of these uh, social masterminds. That once they started creating this, put all these people in the positions of power, which they naturally were going to assume anyway, and then started pulling the strings from the shadows. So we're going to be saving the children and exposing the pedivores, uh, basically the global pedogate, There's an article that was written in 2019, so some of the dates might not add up to some of the events that have recently happened, such as the current presidents, etc., but the article is still very relevant. This was published February 5th, 2019. It's titled, Organized Pedophilia. CIA Whistleblower Exposing the Organized Roles of the CIA, the Bushes, and the Rockefellers. The following is a powerful sexual abuse victim testimony by Dr. Sue Arrigo. Yet again, it points to the CIA and George Bush, as well as the whole criminal cabal running the U.S. government and associated corporations and with the Rockefellers. This may be difficult for some to accept, but all of the evidence, time after time, points to it. The Earth and its peoples are a playground for the elite criminal cabal of psychopaths that secretly rule our countries. Dr. Sue Arrigo is a CIA whistleblower and a victim of a child child sex trafficking herself. Part 1. This is the story of how the CIA uses war zones to garner kids for the sex slave business. You may have heard how the two companies, DynCorp and Halliburton, were caught trafficking in women and children during the war in Yugoslavia. Some background on this topic can be found at DynCorp and Halliburton's sex slave scandal, and it won't go away. The most public showcasing was when Representative Cynthia McKinney grilled uh, Secretary of Defense Ronald Rumsfeld on DynCorp's being busted operating sex rings on C-SPAN in 2006. In these cases, they were importing and trafficking in Russian and East Bloc women as sex slaves. I want to talk about the children that are native to any war zone. The CIA did this across Africa and anywhere they went as standard parts of their operations. 
The names of the front companies will change over time. I am writing this down from memory after being inside the CIA for decades. Some of the details may be off, but the gist of the material will be correct. Dr. Sue Arrigo, CIA whistleblower and a victim of child sex trafficking herself. The expected lifespan of a sex slave. The economics of a child being sold into sexual slavery are such that it's very lucrative. A child in the sex slave business has a useful expected lifetime of only two years. They fail to thrive in that setting. They die of diseases, neglect, abuse, or suicide. The kids are killed if they are seriously hurt, refuse to work, or become somehow too smart to attract their customer base. They are almost never freed by their owners because they could talk. It is dead-end occupation, usually, regardless of how they perform. Child sex trafficker admits on camera to having killed 400 to 500 children. This is a publicly available video. It is available on YouTube, for example, in which a child sex trafficker from South America admits on camera to having killed 400 to 500 children under orders from organized crime. No one takes a child like that to an ER, emergency room, because the sexual abuse will come to light and they will be investigated. There are many injuries that they can suffer. They are expendable goods that the owners don't expect to last anyway. If they are boys, they might be grown up to be gangsters or pimps. Some children run away, but they are often recaptured by other pimps. If they come from another country, they have no papers and poor language skills. The organized criminals can pick up on signals like tattoos and are the way they act. If they are picked up by the police, then they are detained for months to years, oftentimes trafficked by gangs operating within the police. The best they can hope for is to be deported to the same war zone they tried to flee from, so they may try again. Some were former child soldiers, or some were child spies, before being forced into sexual slavery. Even without that, they have disabling post-traumatic stress syndrome, sometimes from surviving, intentionally inflicted on them in order to disable them and keep them from being able to run away successfully as well the, the economics of sex slavery are such that if they are transported to a place like New York City the owners can make about $50 per hour for about 10 hours a day on average roughly translating to $500 a day are $3,000 a week, which is $150,000 a year. The kids' food costs next to nothing. The owner has to house them. The rent and clothes, etc. are less than $10,000 depending on the location. It is still $140,000 pure profit per year per child, or about $300,000 for the two-year expected lifespan of each child. 
The going price for brothel owners to buy a kid on an auction block in New York City or Washington, D.C. is between $500 for a child that is meant to be killed and $50,000 for a choice virgin who is blonde with blue eyes and speaks English, which are the premier and most valuable sex slaves in America. The average price for a kid from a war zone is about $2,000, depending on the war zone. Then there is about a $10,000 cost to get it into the auction at all. This is a sum typically paid between one organized crime group to another so that they may operate internationally in their markets. Think the Yakuza paying off the Italians to operate a human sex slave auction with Indo-Pacific or Asian sex slaves, typically either Chinese, Vietnamese, or Thailand, or Thai. In New York City, because they are going to make millions, and they can, they can mind selling, or they can mind paying the Italian mafia a few hundred thousand. Note, I have attended a number of these. I used to have a hobby of figuring out how to shut the auction houses down. It is a dangerous hobby. People practicing it are flirting with death. Hopefully they are good spies or operatives like me before they try it. For training good spies, it is an in initiation practice. Like the American Indian practice of slapping a grizzly bear. The CIA runs the kids in and sells them in large lots like by the shipful or several hundred on a train load to the auctioneers. In that regard, it is like the CIA drug running. The CIA only does the big stuff, handing off the small distribution responsibilities to established organized mafias. If you mess with them at that level, they can order a hit on you without thinking twice. A hit performed by one of their wet work squads are paramilitary mercenaries. If one interferes with the next level down, after they sold the kids already, the CIA typically doesn't take responsibility, leaving the organized criminals either to save themselves or be busted. They also participate in what they call the harvest of orphans in war zones. The CIA and its corporate bosses like the Rockefellers and the Bushes make it about 1,000 USD per kid from a war zone and they sell them to auctioneers. And of that 1,000, the CIA will get about 300 and about $700 will go to the corporate bosses. For drugs, that split is more like $15 USD per $100 in profit going to the CIA. There is much more money that way to be made when the boss keeps the kids in their own hands, so that the best the kids are skimmed off the top and never make it to the auction house. Kids are skimmed off either because of looks or smarts. A smart kid like I was can be a lifelong asset and make an owner a lot of money with their careers. About 1-2% to of kids are tried that way, as spies or corporate slaves. About 5% of the kids are skimmed off by the bosses for looks, 
the best of these end up as a houseboy or housegirl of a politician that the boss wants to keep happy and controlled. They will use these kids to spy on the politician for the boss. In that position, some of these kids make it into adulthood, becoming spy masters themselves. This is known as the presidential model. And the harvesting of children is overseen by U.S. military officers. The presidential models who get trained by the CIA are in that category. Bryce Taylor is an example of that. Her books are available on Amazon. She says that 3,000 women got made into presidential sex slaves per the figure she heard over the decades of the 1950s, 1960s, and 1970s. They are mind-controlled victims. See Dr. Colin Ross's book, Bluebird, Deliberate Creation of Multiple Personalities by Psychiatrists, which she wrote after having patients like this and reading 15,000 declassified pages of CIA documents released under the Freedom of Information Act about MKUltra. Their minds were split using torture at an early age. Mine was split at age three to four. One or more of the parts is often very psychic. There are, however, much better ways to make accurate psychics without trauma later on in life. Presidential models often have been trained by the CIA in special ESP skills like having photographic memories or remote vision. Other special CIA spy ESP skills that may have been programmed to me have included the ability to speak in tongues, i.e. in any language, the ability to see and hear at a distance, as in clairvoyance and clairaudience, and the aka remote viewing, shape-shifting, and forecasting of the future, including stock prices. The CIA needed these skills in spies. Shamans had the skills and the CIA did the RNT to get them. See John Perkins' Confession of an Economic Hitman and Shapeshifting Books. The boss on their own high-class service that makes lots of money off and servicing the friendly businessmen who are also in their secret societies. This is a sometimes associated with an escort type of service, allowing children to grow up as well as being charmed, groomed, and eventually leased and loaned to various individuals or organizations. They're really difficult as most of these children are too hardened and jaded if abused, so it has to be before they are put into prostitution. As when they are put into prostitution, after only a year or two, they are expected to die. This is a very elite and rare privilege. At the White House dinners, there is lucrative prostitution of America's boys and girls, ranging of any age. The presidential model in the CIA mind control fashion includes beautiful girls and boys who are charming spies without advanced ESP skills fetching around 10000 to 30000 a day for their services for bosses when used at the White House dinners. The girls would be at the White House dinner and the men would indicate their preferences by talking to them 
are talking to the waitstaff and showing an obvious interest in individuals. Either the man was rich enough not to care about the cost until he received the bill later, or he was politely informed of the price by having it listed on the bottom of a card placed next to his drink on a silver or golden tray. It was up to the butler to know which category the man was in terms of his wealth and personal preferences, to vet the individual ahead of any business. I usually came into dinner on the arm of the DCI and sat next to him through much of the evening so that he could have me answer his questions as a remote viewer of known accuracy in that personality. It was up to him if I was to be surrendered to another man for the evening as it affected national security or as a favor from my boss to another. Consider for a moment the usual White House dinner. They range in size from five women to about 50 women slaves on a given night. At an average profit of $20,000 per night, five nets, $100,000 and 50 nets, one million per night. Not all nights does this happen, but on White House dinners, it always happens. But roughly, the presidential personally, uh, president personally makes a good 30 to 100 million a year just on the presidential model of sex slavery and White House prostitution. That starts to tell you about the conflict of interest in stopping this corrupt system. It has been going on a long time. A very long time. The only exception to this rule that I know of is of the President Carter presidency. Since I was personally first into the beds of President Johnson, VP Nelson Rockefeller, Ronald Reagan, President Bush Sr., President Clinton, and President Bush Jr., these services can range for years into lifetimes. I was, however, what they called the Director of Central Intelligence model. I ended up mainly in the beds of DCIs from Helms left to Tenet. The $100,000 a month club was where I worked to ensure one's political cess through blackmail and extreme fetishes. Now let's talk a little bit about the babies coming out of war zones because I strayed too far into the American children and talking about the escorts for foreign and domestic dignitaries. Women are raped in war and often abandon the babies at birth. The CIA helps fund orphanages in the war zone so they can skim off the kids at once for whatever reason it chooses. The children under two are usually too neglected to survive and left to starve. This is known as failure to thrive syndrome in orphanages. The cute ones are brought up by the CIA for the cabal bosses and sold as part of the $100,000 a month club. Rich people like fine wines to show up monthly and this is a variation of that. They are signed up for it almost automatically without any choice in the matter if they attend certain high-class estate ceremonies around the world hosted by people like the Rockefellers. Rich people 
who get through the door means that you can get out of it again, or you can't get out again without the ceremony starting unless you are a very good spy. The ceremony usually involves the human sacrifice of some person, often one of these toddlers or young virgins. This is the work I was involved with, and when I say that, it's by the writer of the article. And the $100,000 a month club, my expertise and experience satisfied not only the men, but allowed me to also perform or engage in this activity for them, crossing many, many lines that many people would find taboo to cross. There are various articles on this also listed, including Big Bank's Whistleblower, I Was Told to Sacrifice Children at an Illuminati Party. Former Luciferian cult member exposes the dark Illuminati agenda. An ex-model incarcerated for exposing the Illuminati child sacrifice rings. Illuminati defector describes horrifying satanic rituals at parties. European royals allegedly killing children in human hunting parties. A witness testifies that Pope Francis allegedly raped, trafficked, and killed children. And new witness accuses UK prime ministers of pedophilia and ritual murder. After the initiation in the fine art of human sacrifice, the guest is expected to carry on the tradition of entrapping others just the same way. Failure to bring in new members is associated with death and blackmail threats. Death can be the result of accidents or even ceremonial human sacrifice itself. Few people are sophisticated enough to know not to get into one of these traps and how to get out of them. They have families, and they cave under the pressure. It then perpetuates itself. They get a baby a month to ritually kill and entrap all their politician and police friends or people under their power, forever binding them to this higher power. This is reverse Christianity. This is the religion of the USA, the religion of presidents. They go on practicing Christianity by month or by day, and Satanism by reality at night. Some of them are mind-controlled by the trauma and the drugs. At the initial ceremony, and do not even know later that they are Satanists until afterwards. Others do know and are proud about it. I would say that 20% are fully aware and committed Satanists. About 50% know what they are doing is wrong, but deny that it is evil based on their personal nihilism or their admittance to simply wanting to serve power. Leaving 30% who are either completely controlled or forced into it 
with various blackmail. The excuse for 50% is that it's their right to be pagan and uninhibited. Orphanages funded by the CIA. Let's get down to some of the details when an investigator could start to hit pay dirt, namely Yugoslavia, which had many abandoned babies, many of them light-skinned. The CIA founded three major orphanages, including one of UNESCO. The Rockefellers found four orphanages that was overlapped at one time, one of them which caused some problems. The CIA talent scouts came by a week after Rockefellers did, and that made the nuns suspicious as well as the CIA agents upset that their, that their potential harvest was ruined. In each case, the nuns were told that the scouts were working for large adoption agencies in the USA, and the kids were to be quickly processed in a large lot for mass adoption. The local orphanages in Yugoslavia were absolutely swamped. There were tons of babies and large numbers of war orphans, the latter mainly the result of U.S. bombs that were killed their parents in civilian sectors of towns. Some had been dug out of rubble days later. Many of these kids were extremely traumatized already to the point of being comatose. I'm sorry, catatonic. That saved the CIA some of the MK Ultra work to traumatize them for themselves as well as the paperwork necessary to disappear them. If they were going to be made into mind control slaves, this was the easiest they could ask for. Some of the bright ones, or the more sociopathic ones, were personally selected to be trained to be heads of, pu of puppet governments later in their lives. The U.S. then has sent them back 20 to 30 years later as the head of a country or as an important minister. Anytime you hear of a U.S. educated native of a country returning to it, suddenly assume an important position in its new U.S. friendly government. Think about this mind control slave possibly recruiting and allowing the CIA to harvest others. It happens much more often than people realize. The CIA and the cabal bosses have been made and making mind control slaves out of war orphans by the thousands industrially since World War II. The CIA has been using children from orphanages since its inception after its existence as the OSS. Remember that in World War II, the UK and US took in Jewish and East Bloc refugee children without their parents. Their parents were still alive in many cases but the USA didn't want them. A woman I know well who is older than I ended up training some of the East Bloc orphans picked up by the CIA. Not long after the end of World War II, they were trained as child prodigy musicians. They were inserted into East Bloc foreign embassies to provide musical and sexual services for members in the Communist Party. They spoke the local language and passed as natives. They themselves did not know otherwise, but they had personalities that would then 
when they were switched on, go to phones, call the CIA, and report on the actions of the East Bloc owners at the embassies. Most of the kids were uncovered and killed by the KGB in the first wave as foreign agents. The median time they lasted in the field before discovery and death was about two weeks. Some never made it through their first sonata. The KGB figured out the scam after the first couple of months into it. The CIA kept on sending in the kids knowing that their operational cover was blown. It did that for another two years just to pretend to its bosses, including the Congressional Oversight Committee, that this was a successful covert operation that infiltrated the communist embassies of the Eastern Bloc, and that this justified the CIA's mind control experiments on children that would evolve into MKUltra. I read the reports at the CIA. I was there as a mind control slave for 40 years, and I had an interest in the subjects on one of my more rebellious personalities. I never had the heart to tell that woman that actually happened to the kids she helped train as child spies while she was 12. She started training them after the KGB knew about the specific musical ruse at embassies and after the CIA knew that the KGB knew and was killing them basically upon arrival into their country or into the USSR. I know that is hard to believe. Betrayal of even its own agents in the middle of the name of the CIA. The CIA during the Vietnam War sent thousands of South Vietnamese spies into North Vietnam after it knew that its secret role and route into the North was blown and the men were ending up being tortured and killed as soon as they were contacted by communists. The U.S. got caught betraying the agents because it refused to pay the promised death benefits to the families. Some of the men who later returned after years of horrendous torture and imprisonment in North Vietnam successfully sued the CIA. They won a settlement on it for millions of dollars. I remember reading about it a long time ago in Time or Newsweek magazine. Agencies are not run to protect their country's citizens, but to make big bucks for the overlords and the military-industrial organized criminal banker elements of society. Child sex trafficking through child protection services has been exposed for kidnapping children for child sex slavery. The CIA betrayed Korean children and sent them to almost certain death as well. The CIA is an equal opportunity employer who likes to pay nothing at all when possible. And a dead spy is an unpaid spy. Here is a little reality check for you on the subject of the U.S.'s use of child spies from Aldrich's book, The Hidden Hand, and the chapter on the Korean War. U.S. intelligence, the CIA, and the DIA... Combined Command for Recon Activities, Korea, the CCRAK, decided to try short penetrations with individual Koreans behind enemy lines. They would be inserted 50 miles behind the lines, armed with only a pistol. They were expected to make their way back to their own lines, gathering military information en route and acting as civilians. 
Senior officers conceded that only about a third of those inserted would ever return, but they expected some really good information from the other two-thirds. Or sorry, for the others. Anderson, who had direct experience in Korea, was less sanguine. Skepticism turned to dismay when he learned that those selected for insertion were fresh recruits and would have seven days of training to prepare them for their mission. It was clear that these agents were regarded as expendable and sent on suicide missions. When the 15 specially selected Koreans had been promised arrival at Anderson facility for training, he could scarcely believe his eyes. Pathetic and malnourished, they were mostly shy, rustic youths in their teens, some as young as 15-year-olds. A week was enough for them to master the use of basic firearms, but they had only the haziest idea of the parachute drill. Accompanied by his agents as far as their dropping zones triggered a sense of black depression. <coughs> Never before had I taken unprepared men into battle and now I was about to do something far worse. I was sending untrained men into the most frightening and lonely of battles. The cold night air rushed in through the open jump door, he said. After three jumped, the fourth hesitated and was pushed by those behind, and so the procession of fear went on until the fuselage was empty but for myself. For one wild moment, I longed to jump after them, and I, like the ancient mariner, felt that I had done a hellish thing. In regard to that dropping Korean teenagers behind enemy lines to their certain doom being just the tip of the iceberg of operations from the CIA in Asia. The U.S. intel community back in Japan relayed to the information to Eisenhower who liked the idea and considered it a success. They continued to drop at least 10 per week, week after week, even though none of the 10 sometimes were ever heard from again. After 2,000 to 4,000 teenage Koreans, given the roughly the same seven-day training, were deployed in the same midnight mission later they decided the or later the CIA decided the intelligence was actually worthless and called the whole thing off those involved were no doubt promoted hands were shaken all around backs were patted congratulations given back at HQ in Langley before the 2,000 to 4,000 teenagers, out of which only one in three survived. Nothing more was ever said. How to spot CIA usage of orphanages in war zones. Back to the orphanages in Yugoslavia. 
Parents want to adopt one kid, not 100 at a time. Any more than three kids moving out of an orphanage at a time should throw up a red flag in someone's mind. The scouts go in and pick out dozens to hundreds at a time. The CIA scout looking for bright kids might even have them all tested by bringing out psychologists along and saying that they are testing the kids' ability to adapt after life in war. They might say that they are studying any number of problems that these kids have, while they really are looking for talent. Some CIA operatives looking for sex slave audition kids by having them do blowjobs on local officials on a special outing for the poor orphans. Those kids that are at the best at socializing and sucking to stay alive win a trip to the U.S. Yes, they do win a trip to the U.S., but as sex slaves, they are unlikely to ever take a walk in nature again or live without the CIA's control of their minds. So an investigator should look at, at who moved kids out of orphanages in batches, who took them on field trips or tested them first for whatever reason was given. Forget about the innocence of foundations, NGOs like Red Cross are all guilty. The UN, the Girl Scouts of America, the Catholic Church, etc. can be all be used as fronts for despicable deeds by greedy bosses. Here is an example of the U.S. sex slave trade in Bosnia from my first-hand experience. One of the worst scams that I know of in Yugoslavia during the U.S. takeover wars in the 1990s involved an orphanage in Bosnia near Sarajevo. Sarajevo. I kept looking for a reference on it on Canadian General McKenzie's autobiography of his time there as head of the U.N. humanitarian effort. Report finds U.N. employees, 3,300 pedophiles responsible for 60,000 rapes in the last 10 years. The UN is normalizing pedophilia. The deep state is free to prey upon your children. I knew that he knew of the incident because I called him on the phone to report to him and ask him to intervene. Yet I could not find one word of it in his biography. That is how whitewashed the world is that these sex abuse scandals involving US politicians and US military or UN military officers go completely unwritten about even by themselves. I had an assignment in Bosnia shortly before Mackenzie got there. The fighting in that region came later. I was assigned to set up an orphanage for the CIA. They wanted this really big facility built 10 to 20 times as large as anyone could believe was needed for that area. My job was just to arrange to buy the land for the building of this big new Catholic school for children. The problem there was that schoolrooms and the plan just endless dormitories. The CIA wanted 10 acres of dormitories for kids. It looked more like a concentration camp, but they wanted it built next to the train lines. The train line to the coast was about the only thing in Sarajevo or Sarajevo uh, that did not get hit by bombs and artillery and continued working. Regular people could not get out of the war zone. The rail line was co-opted by the UN. McKinsey's book shows that very plainly. Planes flew in supplies, but the UN did not protect anyone or get any civilians out. Those kids were not going to parents and to safety. They were going to sexual humiliation, torment, and eventual slaughter. Now I am a remote viewer. I could see what happened to those kids if I helped the CIA buy land and build that facility so I came back empty-handed.
the reason the CIA asked me to buy that land and not some regular person was they wanted a piece of land that would be defensible and not fall into enemy hands. So they wanted a forecaster. They were building an Auschwitz for children. The CIA sent out someone else the next month. The person was not a remote viewer and did not know what would happen to kids if they got there. He bought 14 acres of land. The CIA built its concentration camp for orphans, complete with barbed wire and control towers, with armed guards carrying machine guns posted on towers. An investigator could check this. All that happened before a single shot was fired to start that war in Bosnia. McKenzie notes in his autobiography that when he arrived in Yugoslavia to help protect Croats, he was forced by the UN to open his office in Bosnia, hundreds of miles away where nothing was happening. It was already planned back at the CIA. The CIA had already brought the land to house the children they had planned to sell into sexual slavery. Remember that each child that gets sold into sexual slavery makes about $700 for the bosses if sold at auction. About 300000 over its two-year lifespan if the boss houses it in a brothel in the U.S. And millions of dollars if it can be raised in the U.S. and turned into a presidential model or a puppet government model servicing the political elite. If it is male and all the training, transport, etc. is paid for by the U.S. taxpayer to torture these children into compliance. Oh yes, and don't forget the $100,000 for the babies and the $100,000 a month ritual sacrifice category. Knowing all that, I think you can envision what that 1,400 acres looked like. It looked like Auschwitz. Row after row of barracks for housing children and a small army of child care workers. Now I am exaggerating slightly here because there was a playground and even a baseball diamond included. It was built to house 5,000 children, but at the peak of its use per CIA records, I saw at Langley it had 12,000 children. The CIA was interested not in having the children there, but in moving them. The CIA did research studies to see what took on average of two months to move any given children out of there. It wanted them to sort it and transport it faster than that. A bottleneck occurred in shipping them by boat out of the war zone. The ships were privately owned by front companies in order to give plausible deniability. The private companies did not want to dock that close to the fighting for risk of their vessels. The CIA tried to solve the problem by helping them get cheap insurance that covered wartime losses, i.e. taxpayers subsidized the shipping of the sex slaves for the bosses. The help some crews for their ships were reluctant to sign on once they knew its true destination and purpose. The CIA helped the private bosses Shanghai some crews by kidnapping and enslaving mariners from across the world. The Skull and Bones pirate origins of the CIA and the Cabal bosses were really showing in that maneuver. But that weakness in shipping the sex slaves stateside for the Bones bosses remained a problem for the CIA during the Bosnian War. How many children were shipped out of Yugoslavia to be enslaved during the course of the war? The CIA put the number of at over two, or sorry, not the number at over one million over the period of Yugoslavian wars from 1992 to 1999. That includes other pickup centers, even this one. Even if one only made one thousand dollars on the average per kid, that is a billion dollars in 1992 to 1999 rates. Now you see why the CIA took the trouble of building that concentration camp for kids. They built 
it before the war started because it's hard to build anything once the shooting starts. So it stood empty during the first six months of its existence because the CIA was having trouble igniting the war in Bosnia. It was behind schedule, and that is why McKenzie couldn't see the war and any need for him to be in Bosnia when he was moved into place. Any competent investigative journalist should be able to find the location of that camp and interview some of its small army of child care workers. The ships carried all those kids away. Someone loaded them. The CIA and the UN worked together to enslave the children and not rescue them. I called McKinsey from the CIA's headquarters because the CIA was training some of them as child soldiers to hit McKinsey's headquarters, and I thought he should know. The CIA did that because McKinsey actually wanted to help a few people survive that war. That was not on the boss's agenda. Unless they were slaves, making them profit. The 30-odd children that the CIA trained as saboteurs to bomb McKinsey's building never got used because of the call I made. The CIA recorded the call and called off the attack, but McKinsey did not do what I wanted and reported the CIA's enslavement of the children to the UN. I had called the UN about it, and they said that McKinsey had to report it because my report was unsubstantiated. Unsubstantiated hearsay. Here I am standing in CIA headquarters with CIA documents on this all over my desk, but whatever I say is discounted because they are too scared to take action. I was told I was being investigated. Instead, 10 minutes later, there was a knock on my door inviting me to go down to the CIA's basement for another torture session. It wasn't that I didn't know what was going on, it was just that the rest of the world did not want to hear it and act on it. They built another one of these Auschwitzes for children in Mozambique. Let's look at another wartime example that I was personally involved in. This one is the war in Mozambique in the late 1980s, a few years earlier. I was asked to look at the war remotely from the Pentagon's war room. The Soviet Union had not yet fallen. Blacks were dying in Mozambique in a U.S.-Soviet proxy war. This is Rockefeller was selling weapons to both sides and provoking both intelligence agencies to increase the intensity of the fighting. It was good for arms sales. It was good for the sex slave business. He kept his promise to the forces of darkness to rape, pillage, and destroy as many as much as humanly possible to do so throughout the world. I was in the war room because the CIA sent me over to look for a mole in the Pentagon. Some Soviet defectors had said that the U.S. general was the one, and the CIA sent out a psychic spy, me, to find and capture him. The place to hang out with and watch U.S. generals is in the war room. It was a place that had been in and out of since I was 15, and sent a spy on General Westmoreland, both in and out of bed, to find out if he was winning the Vietnam War. In short, it was my second home away from home as a U.S. mind-controlled spy. The U.S. military had trained me starting at the age of 12 at Miramar Base in San Diego in military tactics, and I was often used to remotely view wars. So that was my cover as I looked for the Soviet-run general. While I was viewing the war in Mozambique, I noticed a U.S.-run training camp for child soldiers. The average age of the kids was 13. Some were as young as 9 or 10, and some were old, worn-out veterans of the war at age 16. These were all boys. Next door in a barbed wire compound were the girls of all ages, 
from babies to age about 12. The older girls had already been shipped out into sexual slavery around the continent. There were no black adults to be seen. I wondered about that for a while. Then I saw that was the CIA was guarding those facilities. I did not want the black adults to know what was going on there. So they set up and maintained roadblocks on all the roads coming into that about 50 square mile area, which was informally known as the children's base. The number of boys that I saw being trained there was in the thousands, and the number of girls in the adjacent compound, a few hundred. Each girl was holding a baby in her arms, even if she was only four years old, and there there were babies laying listlessly on the grounds by themselves. There was no housing, just a wire enclosure like for a herd of cows. The boys had a shed for housing the machine guns to keep them dry if it rained, but nothing for themselves. They all made me feel quite sad. I cry easily, and so I started crying in the war room. The generals did not know why I was crying. From their point of view, the war was going well. There were dead bodies to prove it. There were even the right number of flies on the dead bodies on the pictures coming back from the field to show that these bodies were freshly killed and not from yesterday's kill. Yes, the war was going along, and my tears were not appropriate to a war room, but one of the generals came up and told me so. He said, save your tears for the U.S. dead and hope that you never have to see that day. By the grace of God, we will have them, color folk, all killed before that arrives. I started crying harder. I could see where the general was going to end up in hell. It made the life of a sex slave like me look like paradise by comparison. That is one of the serious problems I have as a remote viewer. I know too much from a great number of different perspectives too fast. I overwhelm. To explain my tears, I started telling him about the children I was reviewing. He told me the U.S. doesn't have any children soldiers. I asked him why he believed that, and he said because all the pictures they received back from the war were of dead adult deaths. I asked him who supplied the pictures. He said the CIA and the DIA. I said, see, that proves my point. You don't know, because they won't let you know. I came the next day with a proof from CIA headquarters about the specific children's base I had viewed in Mozambique. I brought CIA photos of the children and CIA reports of their military training. The general then said to me, the CIA has no right to train them. Only we in the army know how to train soldiers. He didn't care that they were children. He only cared about preserving the army's turf. Then to shock him out of his intentional ignorance, I showed him the CIA report on the girls and their being sold into sexual slavery. He was outraged that I would show him such smut. There were some pictures of what the girls had been trained to do in a short period of time, including doing blowjobs. The CIA authors of the paper had bragged about how well they had trained these girls in preparation for their new careers and supplied the pictures to prove it. The general refused to let this material affect his view on the U.S. as honorable. It was only when I showed him the CIA report and figures on the money made on the sales of weaponized sex slaves that he conceded that the war was corrupt. And that really only happened because I showed him the list of organized crime bosses and how much each had made during the war that he and his army had fought. One of the bosses was a man he had some run-ins with personally. When he saw that man's name, he said, It figures. He was always the biggest bastard. I did find the mole that the director mentioned, or I did find the mole that the Fector mentioned. He was a U.S. general who did not know about the sex slave trade runs by the U.S. He just didn't know about the Soviet-run sex slave trades either. He had given the Soviets some very minor sex secrets. Sorry, let me repeat that. Repeat that. He was a U.S. general who did know about the sex slave trade run by the U.S. He just didn't know about the Soviet-run sex slave trade. 
He had given the Soviets some very minor secrets for thinking. It would help shut down the Mozambique and other African wars. But this information had unfortunately not ended the wars. So then I had to run some information into the U.S. war room about the Soviets' use of child soldiers and sex slaves to help them keep a balanced picture. The U.S. general got a slap on the wrist. The children got no help whatsoever. The U.S. generals knew the truth but refused to help. I went back to the CIA and cried in private in the women's restroom. I couldn't cry about what had happened to me at the hands of the CIA and bosses repeatedly throughout my life. But I could feel the suffering of other children and know what was happening to them was wrong. And for that, I always cried. They shipped the sex slaves. Let's talk about the shipping of sex slaves since it's a bottleneck in the sex slave trade. We can try to make it more of a bottleneck by exposing it. It is obvious that human cargo is never listed on a ship's cargo list. So how do you know which ships are carrying the sex slaves? For a remote viewer, the answer is easy. One looks inside the ships from anywhere in the world and one sees the bodies of the slaves. One can train one's eyes to highlight the ships carrying sex slaves in hot pink if one likes. It is not a hard thing to do, even for a novice remote viewer. Any of the naval officers I trained could do that after a week's training as a remote viewer. But I am going to tell you clues for spotting such shipping that a regular investigative journalist would find helpful. Most people assume that all ships coming into a harbor are logged in and registered. That is simply not true. There is a whole system set up for smugglers, and regardless of what they are smuggling, it is the same. Drugs, sex, slaves, art, landmines, chemical weapons, etc. When a ship first comes in and makes contact with the harbor authorities by radio, it has to give the right signal or be boarded by the Coast Guard as an illegal smuggling vessel. When it radios, it indicates to the harbor authorities whether it wants to be inspected or not and how perishable its fruit is. Any shipper in the legal loop knows the informal code that indicates whether the ship is clean and can be inspected to make the harbor authorities and the shipping code look good or is dirty and should not be inspected for those same reasons. It is all just a big game to them. I used to have my naval remote viewing students play a game in which they screwed up the radio communications for the harbor using their minds. I scored it a win if they could get a dirty ship inspected and get away with it. It was a bit like the American Indian game of slapping a grizzly bear. It was fun but dangerous. They were training to be spies so they wanted a bit of danger anyway. It is not a beginner's game. Beginners should clip the wings on the trade after the goods are sold to the freelancers. Having one or more independent brothel owners mad at you is not too bad. You can go to the police if they give you trouble. Over 75% of sex slaves end up in the hands of the independent brothel owner, so it's definitely a worthwhile part of the trade to target in terms of saving innocent lives. However, the bosses that skim off the top 10% of the children make more than like 90% of the profits from all of these sales. It is like a designer clothing line. That is where the big profit margins come in made, the designers, not the retail. In both cases, one is paying more for an illusion of being rich and famous than you are for the goods themselves. Think of customer, retail, designer. If one wants goods shipped off the record, it goes, by the way. That is code slang for off the record. One throws it into the shipping conversation. Suppose I, at the CIA, want to ship a load of goods to Iraq for reconstruction purposes. 
I call up almost any shipper in the world and say, for instance, I want to send 17 boxes of construction goods and, by the way, two bodies to look after them. Make sure they arrive safely, you know. The shipper then knows that there will be no two people, but two box containers, each containing many girls and boys. But the usual instruction to the shippers is more like, be sure they arrive in not too bad condition, because they want a high spoilage rate, but for some of them to survive. Another way I've heard this phrase is, deliver it ripe, but not spoiled, as if one was talking about bananas. The shippers know what the bosses want. They are paid big bribes to know. The conversation is like an insider's luggage. Or, sorry, an insider's language. You have to know it and not slip up on it to place the order to move them. But it's all done plain text, not in encrypted format over electronic channels. Much of it is done on cell phones, and it's not that secure at all. Anyone could listen in. As soon as I send this to you, you made, uh, the system might change. But the point as an investigator is to listen to shipping conversations for a while and quickly figure out the lingo and the system. It is a system that is worldwide and involves thousands of people that the CIA does not want to send out memos to every week and giving them a new code system because that would wreck the plausible deniability and the people loading the containers on the docks would have to learn a new system every week. What, would they go to training for human trafficking and sex slavery? If the CIA goes to such a form or process, they will be easy to expose on any part and any dock in the world. And they will be able to tell you that he has been given new terminology to use by mysterious foreigners. The reason that sex slaves and renditions go on is because the average person is not watching the docks and the airports. It only takes attention, not any special intelligence training, to find out, figure out that planes, without other markers except a series of numbers and letters, are really CIA planes carrying people or drugs to black detention centers or distribution centers. Average people ple uh, paying attention through a monkey wrench into the CIA's kidnapping of people. Any investigator who is willing to pay some dock workers under the table would be told what the system is. And that child trafficking is a single worldwide operation coordinated by the CIA and sponsored by the major shipping companies themselves. Go to a dock and watch that the dockers are wearing as they go into bars. Dress accordingly. Then walk into a bar that is near a dock and make some friends drinking. Don't ask the questions at the bar. That is a little too dangerous because of too many years. Some of them are protective of their bosses. Invite a couple of your friends to party at your hotel room. Listen to their problems for a while and then feel them out. Most of these dockers do not like having to load human cargo. The smell of urine and feces inside gives it away. Water has to either go in or a two-week trip or be in containers on the inside. The water is almost always drugged with sedatives. Some of the people inside the containers die. It is intentional. The percentage that die is called the spoilage rate. The brothel owners want to buy children from a spoilage rate of 40% on up so they can get kids to traumatize the resist or to try to run them away. The stench can be dreadful. Doctors sometimes vomit as these containers get unloaded. That is how bad it is. Sometimes they hose the containers down inside before they go into the harbor so that the smell does not give them away. 
but then they have to deal with the dead bodies they find inside, as well as have crews which are sworn already to secrecy. Nobody wants dead bodies floating into the harbor, so they either toss them out the day before they get to the harbor, or they have to weight the bodies down to sink them. In any case, there are a lot of people who know what is going on by that time. Those human cargo containers are often unloaded as far away as possible from the public's nose. Sometimes they are unloaded next to fishing vessels to confuse the nose. Amateurs could easily train their dogs to sniff them out if their own noses were not so good. Look for any dock unloading areas which is long past a as a gate. Or sorry, that is long past a gate as distance is the major way that smell is hidden. In Vancouver, for instance, there are two long docks far out of the bay, far from the unauthorized, uh, far from where any unauthorized person can drive. The human cargo has to be unloaded in a warehouse and cleaned up. It is not like other cargo that can just be loaded straight onto trucks or rail cars because of the recurring stench problems that the corpses provide. The warehouse will thus have hoses and drains in their floors or may be designed for livestock. Most of the auction houses are held in these warehouses and the buyers are responsible for the next phase of transport onto shore. So a ship comes in and containers are moved into a warehouse. A lot of personnel swarm in. Water is seen coming out of the bottom of the warehouse for at least 10 minutes as kids are washed inside. Then and only then, after the smell is dealt with, there is a sudden influx of rich men in fancy cars and limos and a bunch of usually unmarked vans without windows. The local investigator should write down the license plates of all vehicles and make sure that if the investigator suddenly disappears, many people would send them to the police and human rights organization. One can't rely just on the police or FBI as the people of the top rungs of those are usually already bought off or blackmailed. One has to rely a lot on informal networks or NGOs, typically made of very concerned citizens or other citizen journalists. Even organizations like the ACLU often have on its board or its head people have been in Rockefeller or Soros education centers, Carnegie scholars or CIA operatives or other like-minded organizations. Some of these people are mind-controlled slaves themselves victims of these prostitution rings. They sound good, but when you test whether you actually respond appropriately, you'll find out differently. Ordinary Quakers and other activists are sometimes more helpful. It has almost all to be done informally. As soon as something is formalized, the CIA moves people in to try to stall it in some way. It all has to be done very ethically and non-violently. As soon as someone suggests something the least bit unethical or aggressive, they throw them out of your life. They are likely an agent provocateur that could lead you into being labeled as a terrorist or thrown into a black site. Slave auctions happen fast. People want to be in and out in under two hours max. It is not unusual for the whole thing to take 45 minutes, including putting the kids in the vans and leaving. The vans are typically loaded inside the warehouse and not out in view. After a man wins the auction bid and has the security, pull the van in and load it and then back it out. He doesn't want to have the loose cargo sitting out there for long. The kids are drugged up and on the ships, but they are coming out of it during the auction, and they become the buyer's responsibility. 
The buyers can see what kind of personalities they have and whether they are going to attract customers. As soon as a lot of kids, usually 10 to 100, are sold, they are given oral drugs again and loaded into vans. But it takes up to 10 minutes for the drugs to sedate them. Again, in the amount of time, they can do a fair amount of damage inside a van or make a fair amount of noise. Because of this, some kids are killed in the process because stun guns are used too much or restraints are tied too tightly. Some kids will overdose based on the sedatives they are given. Other kids are diseased or have malnourished uh, conditions. Routinely, the kids are naked this entire trip. The vans are often naked, and the vans often keep them naked too, with easy to hose out features. Slavers used to use U-Haul and Ryder vans for this purpose, but those companies got wind of it and basically managed to get out of it by tightening the rules on recording the driver's license and credit card numbers of the renters. That was all it took, forcing their own workers to follow their policies, to force their slavers to buy their own vehicles. That means their weak point is that these license plates are registered. If the buyers are front organizations for the bosses and the CIA, then those license plates may be unregistered. Fakes that do not link up to a real name anywhere in the world, but the numbers still help one track the trade just like the numbers on rendition plans. If the van owners are freelance brothel owners, then those vehicle numbers may go to a person who the police might be willing to prosecute in the sex slave business. Like in the drug trade, the police will prosecute the freelancers to make it look like they are doing their jobs. The freelancers are often fairly obvious. They are less rich and more varied in appearance, both personally and their vehicles. The rich often buy a vehicle, use it for a few months, and then turn around and sell it for another purpose. The VIN numbers could be a problem for them, even though the plates are false. However, almost all the vehicles that the rich use to transport the sex slaves on land in the U.S. are made out of the plant in the U.S.A. That plant is in Atlanta. It is the only plant that makes vans with holes on the bottom of it and an enamel type of floor. Cattle do not have to be hidden in transportation, so this combination of having to be hidden and having to be hosed down and needing some ventilation, but also good soundproofing is almost unique in the livestock trade, but is also a service that is provided for within the automotive industry. Over 80% of these vehicles are bought for the slave trade or human trafficking trade exclusively. They are bought in lots of 100 or more by organized crime companies using front companies, or organized crime families using front companies. Putting pressure on that auto manufacturer not to produce those vehicles would slow down the sex slave trade. And I believe that it is Chevrolet or GM that makes the majority of these vehicles. There are legitimate uses for these vehicles, but those people have another vehicle that meets their needs, and most of them buy that alternative anyway. I have been in that factory in Atlanta. The Rockefeller took me because he wanted the vehicles redesigned, and he wanted my opinion on the plant engineer's plans, and whether the price could be brought down. I was there for about two hours in the 1980s. It was during the Iran-Contra hearings and I had to go back to testify in them being in a closed-door session in the afternoon. 
So we had flown down in a private jet in the morning and then taken a chopper out to the plant. It was a very short ride. It felt like we just got up in the air and then immediately landed again. The requirements of needing good drainage and needing soundproofing were almost contradictory. The engineer had just wanted the kids to just be better drugged so that the soundproofing wasn't needed. That was an unrealistic expedition on his part, but he had to hear it from a doctor to understand why, and I guess that's why the Rockefellers had me flown down to talk to the engineer. In the face of the importance of the Iran-Contra hearings to the CIA, it's interesting that the Rockefellers were able to cart me off to deal with sex slave transport problems. I think that tells you something about how much of a bottleneck there is in the Rockefeller human trafficking networks as their fortunes wax and wane, and also how they will believe that they had the Congress already bound up as good slaves themselves, needing to only deal with company engineers and small obstacles of logistics. Okay, so when one sees a van of this type drive up to a dock, it is extremely likely they are carrying sex slaves. It would cost the boss a lot of to have the vans redesigned to look differently. So most of them are quote-unquote stock. Although human traffickers in Mexico oftentimes customize their vehicles extensively. So groups of concerned citizens could put a dent in having sex slaves brought into their communities by watching the docks and recording the license plate numbers of vans driving out in suspicious numbers or with routine appearances. Writing letters to the dock company or staging protest demonstrations outside the plants and demanding the list of the corporate buyers of these vans would also be useful. The vans. Let's see if I can adequately tell you what they look like so you could recognize one when you see one. They come in a couple of different sizes. The biggest carries about 100 slaves. The smallest about 20 slaves. Drugged and thrown in on the floor stacked on top of each other. That is not very big. They're really rider-sized vans, U-Haul vans, but they have no over-the-cab van space, as no kids go up in such a place. The insides are just plain rectangles. The outside walls are about a foot thick, and they are rounded on the outside. Their floors are surprisingly low to the ground like rider trucks because the drug kids are heavy and no one wants to lift them up. If one doesn't have to, it almost always happens that some of the kids do not wake up between the ships and the vans. The ships carrying such cargo almost always get first priority for unloading at any harbor. You can almost tell which ships are carrying by the way cargo by how fast they get unloaded by the port authorities. The harbor authorities are usually well well of the cargo that are not supposed to inspect and want them out of the way as soon as possible so that the DEA or Customs does not find them and give them in. The harbor authorities are quick to deal with any trouble. Almost everyone in the harbor authorities is on the take from the bosses of organized crime. In fact, how they could get such a job without the approval of the bosses and their agencies is beyond me. It would have to be a bureaucratic snafu or a small harbor not to have an adequate control system in place. Since only about 2-4% to 4 of all shipping containers are inspected anyway, it is not hard for the harbor authorities to avoid inspecting the by-the-way cargo. The job of the harbor authorities is to prevent competition from illegals, all those that the bosses do not authorize. It is a monopoly system. The bosses sent up corporate agreements with their friends to share the trade and everyone else is considered an illegal. The distinction is entirely arbitrary. An illegal could sign an agreement with a boss and be legal next week, or illegal could piss off a boss and be illegal next week. 
this is the way the world really works at this moment in history. But I forced by the by-the-way cargo off the naval vessels by training naval officers in remote viewing and then watching them to make sure that they didn't let that cargo on board ships without having to answer to me for it. So I, do you know what it takes to clean up the shipping? Because I did it in one corner of the world. But the U.S. Navy is not a small enterprise. It has a lot of ships and carries a lot of cargo. So to do it in the size outfit is no small feat. On the other hand, I had the support of most of the admirals in the Office of Naval Intelligence, ONI, at the time, and the status equivalent of a rear admiral in rank. Since I have not been embedded in the U.S. intelligence and military operations since August 2004, the Navy ships may have gone back to carrying by-the-way cargo. But while I was at the ONI from 1993 to 2004, part-time, I managed to free it from the control of the bosses, included by making it financially independent of their control. I trained naval officers on how to invest money cleanly and how to watch financial transactions to find corruption. It is possible to do. The results are promising. That type of accounting just needs to be generalized worldwide. I believe that even the bosses will eventually accept a clean system because it will be to their advantage and survival to do so. Everyone uses cars and planes these days. But even those people who used to own horse and buggy cabbie monopolies in New York City, technologically advanced or sorry, technological advances ran over existing monopolies. In the case of remote viewing, it is a technological advance in intelligence that is overrunning the old ways of intelligence of blackmail, force, and corruption, even at a distance. Working from the truth of the Akashuk records using ethical methods is much more effective than cronyism and abuse, cooking intelligence, and getting results. Even if you still had the same goal of making money or, pred or predating on weaker systems, ethically is the right way to go. The old system has been outclassed. To go on using it is to keep on using a horse-drawn bu buggies after the arrival of cars or planes. It will be done for a while, and then the car will be bought, and the rule until the next improvement comes along. The reason I am sure that intelligence will go this way is because my remote viewing skills were so sought after and fetched such high prices in the 70s and 80s, but were eventually phased out by the coming millennium. Tenet used to be complain, or used to complain while I was in his bed that most of the phone calls were for me, not for him. That was true because of any emergency, the person calling wanted a fast answer and effective strategy that my ESP could deliver. If they had talked to Tenet with his old school training and experience, he would have asked me to do, or he would ask me what to think anyway, as I was one of his resources. So by asking me for first, it saved them time and effort. It is actually much faster and more effective to just use the correct thing to do, the right tool at the time, than to try to force people to use that tool through a bureaucracy. The same phenomenon happened when I was at the Rockefeller Center. If another banker or CEO wanted to set up a deal and there wasn't much time, he would ask to speak to me instead of Rockefeller. I could see the right deal for the two of them to make better than they could even if they spent a week together or managed to schedule a time in his busy life. Then Rockefeller signed the papers without talking to the man, giving it to his secretary. He was going to have me draw up the agreements and their lawyers put into legalese anyway. 
Once this happened so fast that Rodman Rockefeller did not know later that he had just bought a big company. The DCI made me back at the CIA immediately. It was a year before Rodman really figured out that he owned that company because he didn't keep up with his paperwork. He had just signed a piece of paper and the entire contract was written afterwards. In just this way, the old system will be bypassed because it lacks effectiveness and is satisfied with the resources that direct its future agendas. Once this happens, so oh, the truth of the matter is that more than sex and drugs, and pe- people want to be free of their internal doubts and torments. Men paid a lot more to see me than the White House beauties for that reason. A really stunning girl went for $30,000 a day, and a Rockefeller spy like myself was getting 30 times that. People want truth and to solve the real problems in their life even more than they want sex and drugs. People had sex with me because they were looking for more out of life than they had and didn't know how to get it. Once a person has the truth and internal satisfaction from the future, the sex and drugs that are controlling them barely interest them anymore. Once one learns how to be full of joy and contentment even under torture, one has something that is truly priceless and that no organized crime group can control or exploit you with. One has everything one will ever need without needing anything at all ever again. It is a type of freedom that few people even know exists. End of part one.